Well, good morning and a happy new year to everyone that is here. It is good to, to see everyone. I know some are traveling and, and some are. I know we have a lot that are out sick this morning as well, but it's good to see those that have come here today on the first day of a new year to start the year off in worshiping God. Um, before we get into our lesson this morning, I want to kind of give a quick little report on our expedition winter camp. We just got back from a winter retreat and encampment up there at Yosemite Bible Camp for about four days. Um, we had a good turnout, um, great classes, good kids, good activities. It was just a very uplifting time up there um, at camp. We, we put it in between Christmas and New Year while some of the kids are on Christmas break, and it is an encouraging time. And I wanted to compliment the congregation here and your ongoing support of the camps that we do. You know, the, the impact that these events have on the church and on the world is immeasurable. Um, where so many people are brought to Christ through these events, so many people rededicate themselves, so many people, you know, make plans for the future in their service to the Lord, it is just amazing. Just in the last 10 years, I started thinking of some of the preachers that have come out of our Bible camps. Tyler Kirkpatrick there in Las Vegas, Chris Roberts in Dinuba, and Brandon Green in Marina were all campers for, uh, for several years at our Bible camp, and now they're full-time preachers. This year, or this last week at our winter camp, a lot of the staff that we had, whether they're cabin counselors, those serving food, those working with the kids and planning activities, they were the same people that a few years ago were campers at the camp. So I know not everybody can attend these events, but support them, pray for them. If there's one work that I, I'm, I'm very proud of that we as a congregation do, it's the work with Bible Camp. I really, really, truly believe it is making an amazing difference um, in the world. So I compliment you on your support of that. But with this being a new year, and as always, you know, we always talk about new beginnings, a new start. People enjoy a new year, and, and it's kind of almost silly when you think about it, you know, a little bit, you know, staying up to midnight to usher in a new year and things. Uh, on Netflix, starting at about 8 a.m. On, on New Year's Eve, you can actually watch countdowns. So at about 9 o'clock, we put on the full house countdown, then we watched... I think it was like G.I. Joe or some other cartoon countdown of, of New Year's, and we told the kids to go to bed. So, I mean, it's kind of arbitrary when you think about it, and they knew it wasn't real. But, I mean, they have all these different countdowns that you can watch, and, and you get online, and you can see already how Mariah Carey, you know, messed up back in New York for New Year's Eve, and it's not even New Year's Eve yet, or, um, you know, the countdown time out here out west. But we have fun with New Year's. We have fun, you know, staying up late. We have fun eating chips and salsa and talking, playing games, watching movies and things like that, but another thing that most people like to do with a new year is make New Year's resolutions, and I started doing some reading about New Year's resolutions because it's not a new phenomenon. In fact, it's reported that about 4,000 years ago, the Babylonians were actually the first ones to celebrate a new year and make resolutions, so it's not a new thing. 4,000 years ago, the Babylonians were doing it, and what they did is they didn't have our same calendar, so they would have the first new moon after the spring equinox, and that's when they would celebrate the new year. Now, it was also 11-day festivities where they would, you know, worship the sun god Modoc or something like that, so it wasn't really something we endorsed, but they did make resolutions for the new year, and that kind of behavior continued for thousands of years with different cultures making new year resolutions, new promises as they began, you know, a new year. The Romans did the same thing. You know, Julius Caesar tried to sync up the Roman calendar with the sun and the seasons and things like that, and he had his astronomers and mathematicians and things get together and make 
you know, a calendar that is quite similar to our modern calendar today. And Caesar declared, you know, January 1st was going to be the first day of the new year, and they would celebrate the God of New Beginnings, Janus. Now, we again don't celebrate that God, but we understand the history behind all of that. And the Romans would sacrifice to their false god, and they would make resolutions as well. But these ancient traditions of resolutions like the Babylonians and the Romans, you know, they continue around the world even today. So what we're doing every New Year's Eve or we set goals and things isn't anything new. For about 4,000 years, humanity has been making resolutions as the New Year begins, setting goals and, you know, making little promises. And a lot of times we don't keep because, in fact, Google did a survey and back in 2013 and concluded that only about 8% of people actually keep their New Year's resolutions. So I'm sure you had many lofty goals. Maybe it was, you know, to save money, spend more time with family, lose weight, exercise, stop a bad habit of some kind. Statistically, you're probably not going to keep it. Now, I know we're, we're different. We, we like to show the statistics that they're wrong, but statistically only about 8% of people actually stick to the resolutions that they make. But biblically speaking, the idea of making a resolution isn't a bad one. Our life needs to be full of these new resolutions. You know, the Bible refers to these changes, these goals. This, you know, a resolution is all about I'm going in one direction. I want to change it. A friend of mine on Facebook um, talked about how he wanted to make a resolution to stop smoking this year. And, and at midnight, he crushed up the final pack of cigarettes and things like that. And, and I pray that it, it goes well for him. But, you know, it's the idea of making a change. He was going in one direction. He says, I'm not going to do that behavior anymore. So he made a resolution to stop that. The Bible refers to those moments in our lives where we have a behavior that we're engaging in and we want to stop as repentance, right? I mean, that's the idea of repenting. In Acts chapter 2, when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter told them, repent, right? Change. You're going in a direction that is wrong. You need to turn around and go in a different direction. We might also refer to that as spiritual growth. Throughout our life, we constantly grow and change our lives and reshape our goals to try to mesh more with the goals of God. We say, this isn't the direction I need to go. I need to make a change. I resolve or make a resolution to live my life differently. So as one matures and as one grows in Christ, we must constantly mold and shape our lives to be more like Jesus. Which leads us to our theme then for the year 2017. As you know, as a congregation, every year we set out a new theme to kind of shape some of our events and our lessons and classes and things. Well, this year, for 2017, the theme that we're going to resolve to fulfill, the goal that we have in mind, is to be more like Jesus. And it's a very biblical theme, as you can tell. It's our goal as Christians. We need to constantly make a resolution to be more like Jesus. He's the model for us. He's the pattern that we should follow. It's his steps that we walk in, not our own. So what a great goal for 2017 to be more like Jesus. Now, as a congregation, our purpose hasn't changed. Our purpose is to love our Lord, our community, and each other. But the way we are going to fulfill that purpose this year is by being more like Jesus. So 
for the next 360, I guess it's 65, this is the first day of the year, days, every Sunday when I get up here and ask you what the theme is, we're going to remember that the theme and goal of the congregation this year is to be more like Jesus. With that in mind, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at a passage of scripture here in verses 1 through 6, and we're going to see how important it is to be more like Jesus. If we could just start doing that, if every morning we got up, we woke up and we said, today I'm going to be more like Jesus, imagine how your life would be different. If in every interaction you had with somebody, you said, how can I be more like Jesus in how I treat this person? If every behavior you engage in, how could I be more like Jesus? If we could just do that and have that mindset, we would make such an impact on this world. It would just be beyond our comprehension if we could just be more like Jesus. Let's read. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Remember, this is a letter written by the Apostle John, a preacher, a Christian, a servant of Jesus Christ, writing to Christians like us who are struggling with some of the very same struggles that we struggle with. And here's what he tells us. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, my little children, and that's what he calls Christians. He has a, a term of endearment for them. He's close to them. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The whole goal of Christianity is to not sin, right? We don't want to give in to sinful behaviors. We don't want to do things that are wrong. We don't want to, you know, disappoint God, so we try not to sin. So John says, I write these things to you, Christians, so that you may not sin. That's our goal, not to sin. Sinning's bad, right? We understand that. Even if you're new to Christianity, you know, sin's bad, Jesus good. You got that down. So he says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But here's the reality. We all sin, right? The reality is we know we shouldn't sin, and we try not to sin, but yet we still do sin. So there's still hope. It's not like God goes, well, that's it, you're done, I'm done with you. No, there's still hope. He says, and if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So there's still hope. Even though we sin, you've still got Jesus on your team. He died on the cross for your sins. He's perfect even when you're not. So he's there backing you up. So even when you do sin, there's still hope. Same thing is said back in chapter 1 in verse 7 where he says, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. As long as you're walking in a direction toward God and not away from God, that blood is still cleansing you. So, I mean, even when you slip up and sin along the way, as long as you keep coming back and resolving not to do that, there's continual cleansing from our sin. He says we still have hope. Why? Verse 2. For he himself, talking about Jesus, is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So Jesus came, died on the cross. He made it possible for all people to be saved. All people to have cleansing. That's how much God cares about us. He's so crazy about us that he sent his son to die on the cross for the entire world. So that if we walk in the light and follow him, we can have cleansing from our sins. Imperfect, flawed people that we are. People who continually sin even though we know we shouldn't. There's still hope for us because of what Jesus did. Because of the fact that Jesus took the punishment on the cross that I deserve. Because Jesus bore my sins on himself when he shed his blood. There's still hope, not just for me, but according to verse 2, the whole world has hope. Verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
So again, if we know Christ, we're going to live differently. We're going to be saved. And one of the things that differentiate us from the world is we try to keep the commandments of Christ. We try to do what he says. See, that's the difference between true religion and false religion, trying to follow God and trying to do whatever you want. Well, we try to keep the commandments of Christ. He says, verse 4, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So kind of a, a quick little litmus test you can do on your life. I love Jesus. I know Jesus. Are you doing what he says? Well, no, I'm not. Then no, you really don't. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? I mean, that's about as plain as you can make it. Do you, are you keeping the commandments of Jesus? Yes. Okay, there's probably a good chance that you love him. If you claim you love Jesus, but you're not doing what he says, do you actually love him? Well, probably not. That's the point, right? And then we get to our, our section here that's really important to our lesson this morning. Verse 5, it says, But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. You can know that you are in Christ. You can know that you are saved. You can know that you are heaven bound if you're walking with Christ. If you're keeping his word. If you're following his will. Look at verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. What's the point? The point is, if we're going to claim allegiance to Christ, if we're going to say Jesus is my Lord, you know, you talk about the confession one makes before they're baptized into Christ of the Lordship of Jesus. You're saying it's his will be done, not mine, right? You're saying I'm going to commit my life to him. If we're going to claim to be Christians, followers of Christ, if we're going to wear that title, we better make sure, verse 6, that we walk in the same manner as he walked. Let's put it more simple. If we're going to claim to be followers of Jesus, we better be like Jesus. Right? That's what he's saying. If we're going to claim to abide in Christ, which we all do, we claim, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I'm saved. Jesus is my Lord. I abide in him. I'm walking in the light. If we're going to claim those things, we better make sure then that we are like him. Because if we claim him and live differently from him, that's called hypocrisy, right? That, that makes Jesus look bad. That makes us look bad. That makes the church that Jesus died for look bad. But the point of this whole section is, look, God took care of the sin problem for you. Jesus makes it possible for you to be saved even when you keep struggling with sin. All you got to do is follow him and try to be like him. That's Christianity. And it really is that simple. Now, living it out day to day, it takes work. Oh, it takes dedication. It takes sacrifice. But the plan is simple. Try to be like Jesus. And you won't go wrong if you try to be like Jesus. And that's what he says here in verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Or you should walk in the same way he walked. You should be like him. You should live like him. So what does that mean? That means that in every single thing we do, we will be more like Jesus in everything. That, that's the, this is the point of the lesson this morning. It's real simple. In everything that we do as a church, as individuals, collectively, every plan that we make, every program that we start, every goal that we set, every interaction with every person and every moment of every day of our lives, 
We need to try to be more like Jesus. And that's the reputation that we need to have. When someone out there in the community who maybe isn't even a follower of Christ says, Oh, the West Visalia Church of Christ, hey, I tell you what, they are really trying to be like Jesus. That's the reputation that we want. When they talk about us as individuals, well, that person, you know, I, I know that, that no one's perfect, but man, they're really like Jesus. They love like Jesus. They serve like Jesus. They give like Jesus. That's the reputation that we need to have, to be more like Jesus in everything, to be more like Jesus in every way, to be more like Jesus every single day. That's a resolution that we can constantly work on for the rest of our lives in everything that we do. Being more like Jesus. Now our sermon this morning has all been geared around just introducing that theme. And I know it just seems too simple. I know it just seems, well that, that's just too plain. It, it can't be that simple. It is. Be more like Jesus. Where it gets difficult though is when we put that into practice. Where that becomes difficult is when we leave this place. When that final prayer is said or the final song is sung and we dismiss from here and we go back to what we would call our everyday normal activities, right? That's when becoming more like Jesus becomes more of a challenge. When, when you're having a conflict in your family, how do you handle it? Are you being more like Jesus? How you treat your coworkers, are you being more like Jesus? How you engage your neighbor or, or people in the community, how you talk to them, how you think about them. Are you being more like Jesus? You know, so often we have a tendency to think about people, you know, less than ourselves, or, or we look down upon others, or we feel put out by other people. Ask ourselves, am I being like Jesus? As a church, the, the works that we support, the goals that we set, the plans that we make, are we being more like Jesus? What priorities do we have? Are they Jesus-centered priorities? Are they the same priorities of our Lord, or are they human-centered? Are they, you know, just designed to please people or please ourselves? We need to be a people that are more like Jesus in everything, in every way, every day. Ask yourself that question every morning. Am I more like Jesus than I was yesterday? Or maybe at the end of every day, have I done more to be more like my Lord? Am I wearing the title of Christ, you know, consistently? I claim to be a Christian. Am I living like him? The lesson is yours this morning. Let's be a church that is more like Jesus. That's our theme. Let's put it into practice. In just a moment, we're going to sing an invitation song. If you're here and you haven't begun to live like Christ, we want to help you. It might mean plugging you into a Bible study. It might mean praying with you and helping you get out of a sin that you're struggling with. It might mean baptizing you into Christ and having your sins washed away. Whatever need you have to help you be more like Jesus, we're here to help you meet that need. If you have a need, why don't you come and together we stand and as we sing.